This is Toby Wright, and you're listening to Discography Discussion. You wouldn't believe it, but there is a child eight feet from me right now watching Nightmare Before Christmas. So we're going to try not to get our misery signals crossed. I was hoping for more of a misery index as to how long this conversation was going to last. Oh, man, that would be great. That's the better line. (laughs) Dude, I was standing right next to Rug Cogdell's amp. And he was turned up so much louder than he should have been that, like, every time he started doing any of his, like, really weird, like, high-pitched screeches and stuff on his guitar, it was like, like, I can still feel it. It's, like, inside my ear. Like, somebody shoved a giant pointy finger right down my ear. So, I mean, I'm, I went and saw Zeo in Indy, which I've been gushing about for weeks. But, like, my... It hasn't really been weeks, but more like days. It when, feels it, like, when this post, it will. Yeah, it feels like weeks ago, but anyway. And if you've uh, been gushing about seeing Zayo for days, then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe. That is Dan. That is John Beatty of John's Entitled Podcast. And we're talking about Misery Signal because somebody Signals. wanted me to listen to this band today. Signals. There's more Signals. than one. Oh, more than one. So this is like that movie, like Contact. I haven't thought about Contact in years. That's a great movie. Not really. It's not. It's very uneventful. It's an entire movie about, you know, you're an alien and your dad was an alien and you're not going to remember any of this. I thought that was a thing. Isn't that what everyone was trying to convince each other that they weren't? Exactly. When you have 20 minutes of static and (laughs) you're trying to convince everyone that this thing didn't happen. I mean, you could have just had a bad tape, just saying. Yeah, that's possible. No, those are the Ring movies. They're the bad tapes. Don't watch those tapes by yourself in a room and then answer the phone. Is the bad tape like the bad touch? If you watch the tape and don't answer the phone, are you still going to die? Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think they they proved that because I think that's what uh, the child did or something. Yep. All right, so let's uh, let's yeah, let's let's jump on this horse. <laughs> Stop beating the dead one that we're on right now. I got stuff to do, man. Okay. Uh, so, uh, oh my God! Go ahead, Dan. Dan. Tell us about seeing Zayo in Indianapolis. Okay, so I saw Zayo in Indianapolis uh, two days ago. My ears are still very much ringing from that experience. <laughs> uh, as I said multiple times, Zayo is better now than they have ever been. Um, you know, because before, you know, I've seen Zayo probably, I don't know, eight, nine hundred times. And uh, I have to say that this was their most elaborate stage show that I've seen. They were playing sound clips. They had a smoke. Well, I don't know if they had a smoke machine or not. That might have been the Atlas Moth. There was a lot. It, got, it was pretty hazy in there, you know, by the time Zayo came on. It could have just and, been the overwhelming uh, man smell just hazing the entire room. Oh, there was definitely some overwhelming man smell going on there. <laughs> but yeah, it was definitely uh, their best. Uh, they were they were playing um, they were playing all the sound clips from the albums and um, just doing all the intros to the actual songs because like every time I've seen them before, they all they kind of just get up there like very punk rock style, play all their songs, and then they get off the stage. And uh, this time, it seemed more like an actual like. The headlining band production because I can't tell you how many times I've seen Zayo, and they, you know, I've only seen them play a twenty-five minute set, you know, or like in support of whatever. And now they're at a point where they're headlining all their own shows, and it's starting to show. Like they're 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 getting that headlining band production together, and I think it's I think it's pretty sweet. I think it works really well on them. Well, in response to the stars that are Zayo, can we talk about Misery Signals now? 
Yeah, sure, why not? Before we talk about misery signals, I want to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, you can find everything Discography Discussion at DiscussMetal.com. We're on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, so if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at DiscussMetal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out it lets us know you're listening and now dan is going to tell us all about five star reviews we love five star reviews here on discography discussion we love them because it makes us feel nice inside uh occasionally i'll read a five star review when i'm having a bad day and i'll shed a teeny tiny small tear in response to it but in all seriousness we just want reviews because reviews help us get recommended to other people that might be interested in the podcast like ours so rating reviewing subscribing is literally the greatest free option that we have available to you and it helps us out immensely and we thank you very much and now John is going to tell us all about John's Entitled Podcast. Well, as the third time guest on this podcast, and uh, having one of your hosts, Daniel Terry, as my co-host, it's a little bit incestuous over here, but uh, Daniel and I, we talk to a bunch of different uh, musicians and so forth, and uh, are trying to actually expand a little more into things outside of the musical realm. Uh, recently, we are going to be posting an episode with Johnny McBee from The Browning. Uh, as soon as I'm done with this, I'm going to talk to Vincent from The Acacia Strain. Oh, yeah. And uh, Dan's going to be doing a, a Zayo interview. Surprise, surprise. I know. Wait for the applause. But uh, it'll be Dan doing an interview on my podcast, our podcast. I think we're, I think we're legally married now. Yeah, we definitely are. I mean, I think it's like one of those, uh, what's the rule if you like live with someone for more than 48 hours, married. you're married, common law marriage. I think, I think Joe and I are uh, brother husbands or whatever it would be instead of sister wives at this point. Well, I mean, if you take the Azalea Dying episode just by itself for discography discussion, we, we passed the common law marriage rule anyway, just in that yeah. one episode. So you're also married to Jeff. Oh, well... More, more, more brother husbands, I guess. And uh, anyway, though, on the podcast, uh, we we go over and do a lot of this. We we bullshit back and forth and make really awkward jokes that don't land typically between anyone other than ourselves. And uh, I gotta say, having having Dan on lately has been really fun. And uh, I want to say thanks for again having me on this podcast. But uh, if you would like to c- follow all things our podcast, uh, you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, all the platforms. Joe already mentioned uh, Johnson Title Podcast. Uh, go check things out. And uh, subscribe if you're so inclined. Hey, and don't forget, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Five star reviews, all that stuff I said about our about discography discussion. Same, very much applies uh, with uh, Johnson's I, Help podcast. So you know, that's the whole reason I brought Dan on was just so he could spout the well rehearsed uh, five star rating thing that I'm no good at doing. Yeah, you know what band really gets me in touch with my feelings? Misery Signals. Mm. Preach. Tell me about Misery Signals, Dan. Oh, man. So Misery Signal is a, well, they're a metalcore band. I was going to say a Canadian metalcore band, but it's a little bit. um, It's Midwest, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a Wisconsin thing. You know what I mean? So uh, as you all know, I love melodic hardcore. I love melodic metalcore. I like melodic music. I I like pretty harsh music. Not like pretty harsh music, bro, but like pretty harsh music (laughs) and uh you know misery signals is absolutely that in every sense of the word and really uh i probably got into misery signals about i would say probably with the release of mirrors in 06 
And I thought that was an amazing record. And then I went back to of Malice and the Magnum Heart and just completely fell in love because as a music commentator, I've just got way too much. Uh, I've got a little too much of the first album's the best in me. So, um, you know, it, they've had a very interesting journey as a band. Yeah, I can't speak for Joe, but I very much echo Dan's sentiments. I came into the band on Mirrors and was really blown away. A friend of mine showed me uh, something was always missing, but it was never you. And just fell in love with the the juxtaposition of the, the melody versus the, you know, the kind of breakdown, off-time break, like, riffs and stuff. And, you know, around that time of, like, you know, the early to, early to mid-2000s, there was a lot of that odd kind of syncopated guitar drum stuff going on you know gojira was you know out obviously mashuga uh not mashuga as you guys say uh drives my wife nuts um <laughs> and uh it's uh one of those things where you know my friend showed me this i went back listened to of malice and the magnum heart and honestly i wasn't really a fan of this i wasn't i liked the music but i was not really a fan of jesse's vocals at first and i know we're kind of jumping ahead slightly even though it's the exact same album but it really wasn't until the rain city sessions uh of them having jesse back on the of malice 10 year tour uh, seeing them perform those songs live and just the energy that a band 10 years after the fact still playing these songs and what they meant to Jesse that I really started to be able to go back and listen to a Magnum uh, of Malice in the Magnum part uh, and really appreciate it for its raw rawness all the way across the board. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what I love about that record is it's just it's just pure passion from beginning to end. And it really like and that that's what grabbed me more than anything you know like any band can can make a complete well not any band but a lot of bands can make a completely like technically proficient album that checks all the right boxes and they very much did that like i mean like 2004 what was that oh three oh four of malice and yeah and um you know it's not that it's not a technically proficient record or that they don't try a couple of things. I mean, some of the some of those breakdowns really hit, man, like really hard. But the the weird thing about it is that like that passion, like that I hate to bring hopes fall into it, but like almost that hopes fall air of like atmosphere that was present throughout, and you've just got this mix of just. I, personally, um, I'm I'm Team Jesse as far as as vocals go for Misery Signals. Um, I think Carl is incredible, but I, I like Jesse because he just has a little bit more of that passionate edge to him and it's kind of it's kind of like a like a josh scogan Corey brandon type of situation for me because josh scogan's like the one that got away and <laughs> Corey brandon's like <laughs> the girl you end up marrying you know what i mean like there's pros and cons there so you're saying if the girl you marry puts out a record called polar similar that's a bad thing i didn't say it was a bad thing at all <laughs> i mean obviously you end up with the girl that you married right um or, or guy well, you know it, it, it's I, I just i like what i'm trying to say is, is i like jesse more than carl but not because i think jesse is better than carl does that make sense it does but can i add you know it's interesting you bring up josh with the you know with uh norma jean and the chariot and so forth so i mean a very easily common theme between those two is they both did a record and then left so is it more of you only had that one thing so instead of like you know a carl or even if we can say jesse from another jesse jesse from kill switch you only had a very finite amount of work to where when that record came out you're like wow i really love this record and how raw and impassioned it is 
but they didn't stick around to do you know a bad record like howard ended up doing on that first self-titled kill switch record is that a fair assessment too to like maybe you you didn't get to wear out of jesse from misery signals yes and no um i think with the bands you mentioned like kill switch and with norma jean and chariot all that stuff i think that was true because like the first thing i heard from norma jean was bless the martyr kiss the child first okay. thing i heard uh, technically i heard throwing myself by ludicrous first but that's a whole different thing um <laughs> but uh you know and with with kill switch engage you know live or just breathing was my first uh experience uh like i said earlier the first album i heard by misery signals was mirrors so right. carl i heard carl first and i thought he was great but then i went back and i listened to jesse on malice of the magnum heart and i'm like this guy's got it a little bit more in the passion department. A little bit more. I, R- R- Carl is a great metalcore screaming vocalist, almost has a deathcore vibe to him. Like he could easily he could easily go in and join a deathcore band and sound amazing. But Jesse's more on the hardcore side for me. It's almost like the difference between a more hardcore oriented and a more metal vocalist. That's the big comparison that I see from this band and a band like Norma Jean. You can tell the origin of this band was some form of chaotic hardcore. They do that 2004, 2005, 2006 syncopated counting metal thing that some people have called mathcore. It's not randomly changing or seemingly random changing time signatures. And a lot of bands did that in an effort to seem more complicated than they were. Whereas a band like Between the Buried and Me appears to write the song that way. It was anti-pop which was a great record by Primus, in that you couldn't really pull a hook out of it. This band actually kind of used hooks to keep you interested in the chaos they were creating. I think a thing of note, too, that should be kind of mentioned is the fact that this record came out of, and the band really, I guess, too, came out of a huge tragedy that basically became and sparked a lot of the lyrical content and driving force behind this record, which was Jesse's old band and bandmates passing away after having a van accident. Um, And I think obviously that speaks to the, the very impassioned vocals and all that kind of stuff that makes it a lot easier for anybody who's experienced any kind of loss to really understand when you listen to this record. There's a lot of ache and a lot of a lot of regret and just all the things you know the the what is it the 12 or the five steps five steps of grief basically kind of being played out on this record yeah absolutely and that that's really what grabbed me it's kind of weird too right because like how we're attracted to tragedy in a certain sense um not that we're attracted to it but like you know, it's not that we want bad things to happen but it, the type of art that people are able to produce as a result of these tragic events yeah, I mean, I look to me of Malice and the Magnum Heart is absolutely like a landmark record for the genre. Like, I'm a very big fan of that record, and I can't, um, I can't, I don't want to undersell that in in any way. Um, is Misery Signals a band that other artists would claim as an influence? I think what Misery Signals, and sorry to cut Dan off, I think what Misery Signals and this record particularly is, is one of those bands, it's something Dan and I talk about, and I think you guys talk about quite a bit too, is one of those bands that's at the forefront that a lot of bands know of, but never gets, not necessarily the credit, they just, people don't know who they are, because for whatever reason, like I think if you go around a certain, it's almost like Blood Has Been Shed. To me, Blood Has Been Shed was a very landmark band for a a, a myriad of 
genres that came out of heavy music, whether it be deathcore or technical metal or, you know, the odd time signature kind of thing, using super low, like, down-tuned guitars and so forth. But the difference is, is... You know, a lot of people are willing to give Blood Has Been Shed more credibility, I think, because of how big Howard and Justin became in Killswitch, whereas none of these guys, sadly, have really become super successful to where there's more of a light shown on onto this band. But I think they are very much a band's band. Anyone who plays or listens to this style of music, you can't help but go back and say, man, Of Malice and the Magnum Heart, or man, Controller, or man, Mirrors, like... Misery Signals is that band. I just don't think they are on that level that they are an, an influence in the in a very obvious sense. They're not a yeah, like I, I like that term a band's band. Because they very they very much are that. People that know what they're talking about are Misery Signals fans. You know what I mean? Like it's one of those like you know, like you said, John, it, they really are a band that are more of a embodiment of the style of music that they play and it's not a compromise like that that record wasn't written to get fans necessarily not any more than like any band obviously tries to get fans but like i mean like it there's no like this is 2004 they could have been very easy to throw on some bullet for my valentine type courses and you know like like just the stuff that 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 you know all the kids with their with their bright pink hair highlights and stuff are going to come to your show and be like oh they're so cool and he's got such a beautiful voice and i look like there's nothing beautiful about of malice in the magnum heart in the sense of like from a pop sensibility it is a it is a dirty dingy medical record that sounds beautiful musically and uh, i mean i feel i've you know um a band that i actually really wasn't that big of a fan of uh that they remind me of um is uh for the fallen dreams like i didn't um i was not into that band like i didn't know anything about them i had a couple of their cds and just literally never played them because they were sitting in a stack of like the thousand cds you know and uh but they it's kind of that same thing where they because it's easy to go like the hopes fall route whenever you're like you get pinned as a melodic band like it's easy to go the hopes fall route and just literally just drift off into space and just do all this really ethereal stuff but what i like about misery signals is how they kept it heavy they kept it brutal like actually pretty brutal in places but still had all that same energy and emotion and atmosphere as a hopes fall um and they really kept it together on that first record in a way that I just uh, it, it just blows me it just blows me away. And unfortunately, though, if you're listening to it and you don't get it, like all you hear is breakdowns and screaming, and you're waiting for the chorus to kick in, you're listening to the wrong band. And it's not to say that their songs didn't have hooks, like Joe said, and their stuff is super hooky, but it's not like pop hooky, I guess if, if that makes sense. It's not as obvious. It's got that Beatles chorus thing when they did like the benefit for Mr. Kite and they took this piece of music and cut it up, threw it on the floor, taped it back together, and then just play that in the background. To the normal metalcore listener who's looking for a chorus, this might feel the same way. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but I mean, a lot of the metalcore bands from that time period, you know, between like 04 and 06, they were doubling down pretty hard on those choruses. Oh yeah, I was um, listening to a bunch of 
Ace the Day earlier today, and I was like, Jesus Christ. This, like, the progression of, like, just a song like Blue 42 has every staple of what became, like, that sound of the, like, mid to, like, early to mid 2000s metalcore. Haste the Day was a sure thing every time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like vanilla ice cream, man. Um, You know, but I kind of feel the same way about Misery Signals to an extent. It's always been a sure thing. You know, and um, to to move past because I mean we we've slobbered all over Mouse and the Magnum Heart enough. Well, I, I think before you do, I want to make one comment because I'm going to bring this back when we get to controller. Um, one more something- slobber. Yep, one more slobber. Um, so basically, the thing you know, and if anyone who has listened to the podcast I do with Dan on my our show, or even anytime I've been on this podcast, I'm a big stickler for production and stuff like that. And something that's you know I think of note is that. Uh, Devin Townsend produced this record, and I think that's why a lot of the interesting things sonically that are on this record, I, I couldn't have thought of another producer who probably could have brought this out of this band. And to me, I, I think, especially once we get to Controller, um, I'm going to bring that up again. But I just want to put a pin in here that I think Devin Townsend's production on this uh, is why this record sounds like it does, which will now lead us into their second record, Mirrors. And holy shit! Did a lot of things change? Yeah, well, I mean, number one, lead vocals gone. Um, interesting thing about that, about how they, about how they got Carl, um, was they just did a contest. MySpace, literally a MySpace contest. We need a vocalist. You guys all know we're like the greatest band ever, so you know you, you're gonna want to you're gonna want to try out for this band. He sent them a tape. They loved it. I didn't send them a tape. I should have sent them a tape. I How many tapes have you sent over the years? I, I've sent a few tapes. What what Christian and or metalcore bands that were of some prominence at this time have you sent tapes for? Because at this uh, point, let's... Haste the Day, um, Bloodline Calligraphy, actually, who had a female vocalist. I played with but them they were Yeah, but they were... Yeah, we played with them before, too. Um, our old band did. And, um, yeah, I sent them a tape, and then they, they just hired another another female vocalist. I mean, I, I get it from a looks perspective. As 100%. opposed to this female vocalist. <laughs> <laughs> Cor- correct. Uh, so, let's see. There was a little bloodline calligraphy. I think uh, Nodes of Ron Vier, I sent them a tape when they had a vocalist switch. And they actually had multiple vocalist switch, but I only sent one tape. Again, I you know, had to have been a sure thing. Um, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> I think Carl was a good was a good match for Misery Signals, especially with the way Mirrors sounds. I don't know if Mirrors would have sounded like that, regardless of him. Like even if it had still been Jesse, I don't know if Mirrors would have sounded the same. You know, would it have sounded the same musically, just you you know, and vocally? Um, I'm not sure. I you know, it's it's hard to kind of make that call because there's so many factors that go into um, a change like this. But I mean, who man. Sorry, there. Are, this record is just so different, but still really consistent. I, I don't know really how to how to explain it in a way that makes actual sense when I say it's very different, but very much this. The expectations were all met, I guess, yeah. like a hundred percent. But it still it was a record that had its own identity. I think a good comparison would be, as was said earlier, Norma Jean. The first time I listened to Mirrors after listening to the last record, I was reminded of the first time I listened to Oh God, The Aftermath after listening to Bless the Martyr. It sounded the same, but it didn't sound as good to me. The expectations were met, but it was different. It was a different thing, 
but it wasn't so drastically different that I'm sitting here asking, why didn't you guys just change the name? So did they successfully transition into a new frontman better than most mainstream acts would? Yes. I'm well said, sir. I'm kind of torn because I think the thing for me on this is I, I, you know, obviously as Dan and I already said, this is the record that Dan and I got into this band on. So it's a little hard to sit there and say anything contrary to me going, well, this is where I found the band initially. With that being said, in going back, I don't feel like there's as much raw aggression and, and that energy that was on the first record part of me doesn't know if that's because of a different vocalist which i mean again i'm gonna go back to kill switch because this is all happening around the same time and i guess we can even use uh, norma gina as an example too because those are three bands that are all having kind of an identity crisis sort of of having to find a new frontman on a seminal record that you know broke the band but i think carl is able to do well with what they were doing like as far as if you ever saw them live around this time he was able to do the old songs really well because he was a fan and he sounded good but he added a completely different kind of tone whereas i feel like jesse sort of like dan was saying is more of a i guess i'll say it more like a a normal hardcore vocalist if that makes sense carl i feel like is more has more range within what he does and it's not fully on display here yet but i think he allows the band to kind of play off of the dynamics that they're so good at creating within their music with his vocals and i think a great example of that is the failsafe i mean i can't think of another song i mean there are songs on of, uh, of malice and the magnum heart that have kind of that that chorus as as joe was kind of alluding to but i think the failsafe is more and even you know something or uh, something was always missing and even one day i'll stay home those are great examples of where there's more melody and an emphasis on almost more of a a, a hook that you didn't see on the first record i think overall i just get a little bit more of a mechanical feel off of this record and sometimes the more mechanical you get the less emotional you come across uh you know it's kind of like how i wouldn't consider mashuga to be a uh you know uh, an emotional band like at all i think i said they sound like robots playing music i think um, that's just catharsis in in musical form yeah yeah it's <laughs> Yeah, that's a band. Anyway, <laughs> I got so tired of talking about Mashuga in the in the middle of that conversation that I was like, "All right, guys, final thoughts." And they're like, "You've got two albums left," and I'm like, "Oh, that's right." Um, well, Dan, you've got two more records to go with this band. I think we're going to be fine with Misery Signals. Um, or should I find a different? I should start calling them like Missouri Signals. Missouri <laughs> just, Signals. Just change. Just change it up a little bit, just to irritate people. Actually, until you said that, I had no idea I'd been saying saying it wrong. I, I thought the band's name was pronounced Meshuga. I mean, uh, it may be, like, and maybe that's just a geographical thing, but like when I was listening to that episode, my wife was like, why the fuck do they keep saying Meshuga like it's Meshuga? And I was like, that's how I've always heard it, but I, I don't know, different dialects, I guess, in different areas, so that's whatever. Well, we'll come back to it at the end of the discussion, and I'll pull up the actual pronunciation key for it and see what we yeah. get. Anyway. Uh, Final thoughts on Meshuga. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I don't know, man. Like, I guess... I guess for me, it just came across as a little bit more mechanical. Um, and again, this was the first Misery Signals album that I heard. So when I, the first time I heard it, I was like, this is great. You know, this is amazing. You know, uh, because it's still, it's all still here, man. The, the brutality is here. I will say that the aggression is stepped back like half a step 
Yeah. It's not. And again, I, that's all just passion. You know, like, I think I think that can just be chalked up to like, you know, it's our second record. Nobody's as angry on their second record as they are on their first record. Um, usually some some bands notwithstanding. But I think that they are really in the pocket here. I think for a for a sophomore release, there's nothing wrong. like I mean, you can't beat songs like something was always missing. You just can't like, no. um, I mean, and, that's basically as close to a hit in the genre as you can possibly get. Absolutely. And that that's the whole thing with Misery Signals overall as a band is that they are very much in the genre, but they're not necessarily like gonna, like they're never going to turn into like a fallout boy or, you know, like they're never going to change so significantly that they're never going to um, th- that they're going to be ever be unrecognizable to fans like a lot of bands are, you know, like an under oath or, you know, um, something like that. Like, you know, like I said about Haste Today is also very true of Misery Signals. It's a sure thing. You know, when you buy when you buy their albums, you already know you are in for an experience that's going to be similar to the experience you had before, but a little bit different. And that is the magical that's the magical formula for any band, regardless of genre. You know, our brains are, you know, like like those little chemicals in our brains that are activated whenever we're happy um, or whenever we hear something familiar that's why you know people complain that like pop music all sounds the same well yeah it sounds the same because they're trying to elicit that that familiar feeling that you get in your brain but you have to change it up just enough for it to be unique and also stick as its own thing now with misery signals if you if you started with the first album and you transitioned into this one it's a very easy transition for you but it is still like an evolution of a band. So there's some things I think that they did better from a genre perspective um, on Mirrors that on uh, Magnum of the Malice, I'm sorry, Malice and the Magnum Heart uh, was, uh, I don't want to say more sloppy. That's not the right word, but just it, it was more like the emotion takes precedence over the technical proficiency, whereas Mirrors is kind of the opposite of that. I sometimes wonder, and that's why I kind of wanted to hit on the fact that Devin Townsend had produced the first record was Devin's kind of known for, I mean, a great example, looking at the record he did with Lamb of God, you know, he's known for letting players play and kind of letting some of the, if you've ever listened to anything, Devin Townsend's been associated with that he's written or whatever, like dude is very stickler for crisp, clean production, making sure everything's tight and exactly as it needs to be. However, I think from him as a producer working with other bands, something that seems to, really be interesting about that is that some of the bands that he's worked with he kind of lets the sloppiness kind of let it in because that's what adds the character to the music that's being played and i've always thought you know looking back and and especially once we get to controller like i said um that's that's something that you can't help but notice is just the the raw i don't want to say youthful aggression but just the impassioned aggression that has a purpose and it's it's guiding that whole first record this one has an intensity intensity about it but i think instead of it being matched lyrically vocally and everything like that i think it just kind of takes a back seat to sort of a lack of production on this one like it kind of takes the balls away from it a little bit yeah and you know yeah you can blame all that on the production side of it really um, because you go and see this band live, and these songs are going to stand, you know, nose to nose with each other. Oh, for you know, sure. In a, in a live setting, because um, I mean, I've seen Carl play almost everything off of a Mouse and the Magnum Heart, and it'd be just as intense as it ever was. Or you know, 
Um, and even he even has that passion, even though he's not necessarily talking about something he was involved in, you know. Yeah. Uh, and that that's a that's a hell order performance, you know. Uh, anyway, but to uh, to jump further into controller, oh, 2008. Oh this my is my goodness. favorite fucking record of this band's hands down. This hands is down. man. This is a powerhouse. <laughs> this is a motherfucker of an album. This is kind of the realiz- realization of the dream, or a realiz- full realization of the idea. When you start a band, you're not entirely sure how it's going to turn out. You know what I mean? You're gonna you're gonna get everybody together. They're all gonna bring what they have to the table, but at the end of the day, there's really no way of predicting how it's going to sound. This is almost the exact like blueprint of when everyone sat down and said, "We're gonna start a band. And it's gonna sound like this." Th- this is that record. It took them two records to get there, and that's not even taking anything away from the first two releases. They were phenomenal. This is phenomenal plus seven. The bad parts of the chaos are missing. Notice I said the bad parts. The parts where you're building an idea, and then you just move on to the next thing too early. Or you take an idea and drag it on too long. This kind of moves into... I will not call it generic metalcore because it doesn't sound like Killswitch Engage. But you can see what <laughs> this band had before. This is, all right, guys, let's sit down. Let's actually do this the best we possibly can because clearly we know how to write a good metal riff. Oh, it's, hard to, it's hard to really put it into words, but it's like, I think we all know there's a difference between writing good metalcore songs and writing good songs. You know, especially like some of the really early metalcore, like the pre-2004 material. Play this riff, then play this riff, then play breakdown, and then play this riff, and then play breakdown, and then play this riff, and then next song. Uh, That was like, metalcore was more just like, how many cool, weird ideas can we throw into this mix? And Misery Signals kind of did that a little bit on their first two releases because they were kind of more of the old school um, metalcore sound. Um and this record was, in my opinion, the first time that they really crafted real songs that could really could um, that you could remember a lot a lot better, like without having to listen to the record a million times. Um, and I just uh, I just found I just found their actual songwriting skill to be far superior to the first two records. This is definitely a case where I wonder, and I should have mentioned it when we were talking about mirrors, but this is a case where I wonder if. The time frame of Jesse leaving the band to finding Carl to, I don't know the touring history at that point, but I don't know if that's like a thing where the label was like, all right, time to write a new record. It's not like Howard, who came in during a live or just breathing, had to perform that those songs kind of got a better feel for the band and, you know, what they were doing and then slowly got integrated into the writing process of the next record where Carl may have just come straight up and it's like, here's a new record, just write shit to this and here you go. And there wasn't really that that honeymoon phase of trying to figure out where he felt comfortable being himself. And to me, when we get to Controller, this is the band firing on all cylinders because those dudes are great, as we've said a million times already, and have been playing with each other for a long time. But now you've got Carl, who's been in the band for a few years, got a record under his belt, and now you know, feels probably more comfortable in his own skin to be who he wants to be in this band. And to me, it shows right out the gate with nothing. I mean, 
Jesus Christ, like lyrically, like that song is, I mean, this whole album, like the, the album cover, the lyrical content of this, this whole record, I can't think of a, a piece of music that just so encapsulates itself. Like one goes so well into the next, like the album cover gives you an idea of what you're about to get when you get it. It's, it's dark, it's dreary, it's heavy. It's, it's everything that that album cover looks like it is. And it does take control of you when you're listening to it from start to finish because you can't help but be engrossed throughout the whole process of listening to it. Like, you, I don't, anytime I throw this record on, I might have an idea of, like, yeah, I want to listen to, like, Weight of the World. But then I'm like, oh, fuck, let's start at the beginning. And the next thing I know, like, I'm already at the end, I'm already at the end of the record. And I'm like, shit. All right. Well, we'll fucking start it again, man. <laughs> it's 40, yeah. I mean, 40 minutes, it's a good length, you know. Yeah. Um, it definitely, um, isn't a huge time investment for you and it and you're gonna have a great time for 40 minutes and it's it's hard it's really hard to objectively talk about a record this good because my recommendation is pop it in listen to the whole thing yeah that's it that, that's pretty that's, much that's it. it you know i mean yeah sure there's standout tracks um you know i like i like uh i like coma i like uh set in motion i like reset i like uh, like it all. I, I <laughs> like like it all. I started to go. Well, I mean, like you know, I think the first. I started to be like, all right. Well, the first uh, ten songs. <laughs> I right. mean, it's, it's all good. Like it's like I said, and I don't think. I think that's something kind of speaking to what both of you are, have been saying about this. The little bit we've been talking about this is the fact that they they wrote a full record. I think the track listing really helped. I think they focused on everything that matters. You know, this is something Dan, Dan and I talk about when talking, you know, in general, just to each other. And I think you guys have all talked about throughout this whole discography discussion podcast is what separates good albums from great albums is the fact that the track listing, they pay attention to all those things. So they have strong songs and it's not like all it's not front loaded. It's not back loaded or uh, the, first, the middle two songs could have been eh, didn't need those. It's like there's kind of knowing what you do well hitting the mark and getting out before you you have time to like fuck it up and it's like to me this is just a record that knows what it needed to do came in delivered and it's like leave you wanting more we did it and you know devin townson township devin you know. devin township uh he yeah. did a great job <laughs> ladies and gentlemen great... the township of devin the mayor john Beatty. that's mayor mccheese did you just call me i think uh you know Devin Townsend coming in on this too like that I think it can't be understated enough like sonically like two of the the my two favorite records are of Malice and the Magnum Heart and Controller it's kind of interesting when you look at it that the same dude produced it so it's like okay that's the winning formula apparently you need Devin Townsend to get in a room with these guys and magic fucking happens he's able to bring out the best in what they can do yeah absolutely and you know it's it's interesting to me like I, I actually compare this record a lot to, um, not musically, but it, it's kind of like a Linkin Park hybrid theory type of situation where every, every track is good. Oh, okay. Every track's a winner. And that really didn't, typically doesn't exist in metalcore. It doesn't, because like e e even on some of the best records you've ever heard, best metalcore records you've ever heard, uh, Shadows of Security, you know, um, eventually you're going to start complaining that whole record sounds the same. People are going to be like, yeah, but it's a good sound, so it's all good. But see, now you're justifying. You don't have to justify anything on controller. It is every single song's a banger, pretty much. I don't know. I keep going around in circles with it because I love the record. And I, I like if this had been their last record, I'd been like, it's a great band. It's a holy trilogy of albums. The one time this week I didn't want to listen to controller, I 
listened to something that wasn't metalcore. And then I went back and listened to Controller again, and I said, okay, it doesn't run together. It's not generic. It's not an As I Lay Dying ripoff session. I literally just didn't want to listen to Metalcore right then. <laughs> and that's my review of that record. It is a great album. But if you listen to it and all you hear is the same thing just over and over and over, you probably don't want to listen to Metalcore right now. Come back later when you do want to listen to Metalcore. The interesting thing around this point, and the only reason I'm going to bring this up is because I think it actually has some relevance to the five-year gap we had between records. The members out, oh, even Carl, uh, basically the band started kind of doing a lot of side projects. You had Stu and uh, Brandon doing Low Talker with some of the dudes in Comeback Kid, a little bit of foreshadowing there. Uh, you end up having Burning Empires, which has got Matt Mixon from Seven Angels, Seven Plagues, which some of the dudes were in. And some of the Misery Signals guys, Carl obviously went off and did Solace, which, you know, more or less sounded a lot like this Misery Signal stuff. Um, and there was just an absence of, you know, no pun intended for the next upcoming album, but there is an absence of the band. They were touring somewhat, but they just kind of seemed to fall away. And none of the other bands outside of Solace sounded anything like this. So it was kind of almost seemingly like, well, I, I guess that's it. This, this band's kind of slowly fading away because they weren't doing anything. And then we get 2013's Absent Light. And before we got that, though, we get a crowdfunding campaign. Yep, because, you know, was the season. Uh, really, the 2010s, every band. We're, uh, yeah, we're crowdfunding. You know? <laughs> we're, we're, we're crowdfunding it all. and uh, Which is really weird, right? Like, Maybe it's not weird, but like, do you think that they really would have had a problem putting this out without it? Well, here's the thing, too. This is right around the time I think uh, Ferret went under or got bought out by whoever they got bought out by. So I don't think they. Yeah, Warner Brothers, I think it was. Yeah, I don't. And I I might be wrong. I know there's like a little mini documentary on this that Matt did. I feel like this was, you know, the maybe the label didn't want to fund a record in the truest sense, like give them the money they maybe needed to, to make the record they wanted to make. Correct. And so this was a way to see if the fans that they had, who are a very loyal bunch would fund it. And they did, they met their goal. They obviously made the record. I think, uh, you know, they had some sweet perks and I know some people got to come out to, in the documentary, you saw that fans got to come out and see the record being performed and uh, recorded and so forth and got to hear it. Somewhere along the process of controller and uh, and making of this record, we lost Greg and Kyle, yes, uh, the guitar player and the bass player. Greg went to uh, went over to uh, or I'm sorry, Stu. Stu went over to Comeback Kid, and uh, Kyle ended up just leaving. And then we get Greg Thomas from X Shy Halud, X uh, handful of other bands in his own yep. recording studio, and. You know, seeing him live playing all the old stuff was great. Greg is a phenomenal guitar player and, and killed it in that role. But there's just kind of something missing, no pun intended again. And uh, then we finally get this record. And for me, I don't know if it's how long it took to get it, but there just seemed to be a disconnect. There always has been a disconnect for me with this record. Um, I don't really feel like it fits in with the rest of the, the records. And... Do you remember? Do you remember how I was saying how easy it is for bands like this to go the hopes fall route, and just get so kind of atmospheric and out there and artsy fartsy kind of so to speak? And I don't think that's a problem. 
most of the time, but I don't feel like Misery Signals was ever building towards this. No. Like they weren't, this was not like a, you know, like a few weeks ago, you know, you talked to Siler, you know, and they were talking about how, you know, they, they didn't end up where they started, but you could see the breadcrumb trail along the way of where you're going to go. Right. And I feel like that's very much this record. I mean, and I, I like Absent Life because I'm a fan of melodic metalcore, and it very much is that, you know. But it's a little bit too um, focused. I think I think it's focused a little bit too much on the atmosphere, the melody, and they're trying to create a feeling that, like, I just don't care about at this point in their career anymore because... Like, if I want passion, I'm going to listen to the first record. If I want a little bit more technical proficiency, I'm going to listen to the second record. I'm probably just going to listen to Controller before any of it. But it's one of those, like, really, like, I just don't feel like the heavy parts really hit on Absent Light like they have in the past. Um, Maybe they sound better live, but, like, the breakdowns don't beat me down like they should, The you know. there's just all that dissonant riffing that I've heard from other melodic metalcore bands so many years before. And it's not even that it's generic. It's its own thing, but there's just nothing super compelling about it. And I just don't, I just can't get into it. Like I could the other records, like it is a good record, but it's not like, Oh my God, check this out. Like I'm not recommending this to people. And it's not, it's not that anybody's done anything wrong. They probably did as good as they could based on the circumstances, but I just don't feel like it's got that misery signal stamp on it, you know, because I, I don't, I don't think they're unrecognizable here, you know, but it's definitely like, this is the kind of thing I would have expected out of like their second record. This would seem like a cash grab if it had come out years prior, like, listen, Hey, we're going more melodic and people are going to like it. But like, you're still misery signals like you're incapable of being a pop band and so like they don't really try that either but it's so hard to put a nail on it because it's a record that's just okay there's nothing wrong with it objectively it's just it's not the misery signals i signed up for i think one of the nice things about doing a podcast or that there are podcasts out there now but i will speak sort of to and this sounds a little self-congratulatory, but you know, having gotten to talk to Greg Thomas, who worked on this record, produced this record, you know, something you know, we were kind of talking a little bit about the band. Um, at the time, it was cut out of the episode because it wasn't anything that's going to be said. So I'll switch it to very recently. Carl just posted because it's it's the 10 year anniversary of uh, Controller at this point. Yeah, and so Carl posted this long thing on on all of his socials if you saw it, basically stating. Uh, his involvement in the in the in the band uh, making that record and just a lot of things leading up to his time in the band coming to an end around the time of absent light because basically they did the record did a very light touring and then went away again and the thing is something about this record that i always kind of wondered and you know it's been confirmed at this point obviously but this just feels like a disjointed record. I didn't know how much of it was. You know, you're trying to bring in a new songwriter in Greg who hasn't been with the band as long as Stu had been writing songs from the get-go. You don't have that same sense of... It doesn't seem like it has that same sense of, like, cohesion, like, you know, you were saying, Dan. And, you know, as Carl kind of ended up admitting, he didn't write a lot of the lyrics on this you know he basically had nothing didn't bring anything 
and Ryan and, and uh, Greg ended up writing a lot of the lyrics for this. So I think just as a whole, like, you know, you're saying, like, it doesn't not feel like a Misery Signals record, but it doesn't have that Misery Signals stamp. And it's like, I think there was too much change happening for one record under the circumstances also of it being a crowdfunded record. So there's probably more more demand to put out a quality product that's going to appeal to your fans because they're literally the ones funding it. And to me, I think a lot of that, that struggle that the band was facing, you know, from losing a couple of members from losing, you know, not having a, a, an interested Carl, you know, writing vocals and so forth. I mean, we just, we just praise controller for all the things that it was. And I think that's the problem is, is very much like how of malice and the Magnum heart, was so great that by comparison when you look at uh when you look at mirrors it doesn't quite live up to it but when you go to controller to absent light it just doesn't stack up and i think that's the that's always kind of been the downfall of this band you have four records which i would say their worst is better than most people's best yeah no i agree i think it's a good record but it's just not misery signals and again, I think it's impossible when your last record was essentially a perfect record. Yeah. If I gave you this record tomorrow and didn't tell you what it was, how long would it take for you to suspect this was a new album by Misery Signals? Based on the guitar playing, because Ryan, on Ryan and both both the uh, Brandon and Ryan both have a very them sound, whether it be guitar and or drum playing, I would have figured it out pretty quickly. That being said, I would have been like, these must be demos or something. Like, these aren't finished products. Yeah, and the production quality isn't as good as we've had prior. And, um, you know, I realized it was mostly just, like, self-produced. So, I mean, from from that perspective, it sounds fine. But it's like, your last record was produced by Devin Townsend. (laughs) <laughs> you I know, think it's, production it's like, can be a detriment to any band, especially when you've crowdfunded and are releasing an album essentially independently. You know, Joe, something I kind of wondered with this, you know, this this band spans from 2004 to 2013, a very interesting cross-section of production styles within this genre. You know, you going through these four records, what, do you, what did you notice? Like, did you notice any like any trend hopping between the production styles or anything? They followed metalcore tropes. They had a triggered bass drum early on, and then later on that didn't happen. The first record, all the vocals are doubled, but they're doubled left and right. Uh, That is a pet peeve of mine. Usually that's done for background vocals or additional vocals to give the soundscape some depth. Devin Townsend has a very specific style and approach when it comes to metal. He reminds me of Phil Spector in some of the records he's been involved in. He tries to make it sound big, but not by doubling or tripling parts, by just turning everything up really, really loud. Uh, Beyond that, it started to sound more and more like generic metalcore the longer it went. Whereas before, it reminded me more of chaotic hardcore. Okay. Yeah, no, that's... I'm gonna just defer to him on that because I don't, <laughs> I don't hear that stuff. I just I hear the music, the passion. That's all I hear. Um, or from or album thereof. one to album four, you've got more and more generic elements, and that's interesting for a band like this, like you said, that doesn't get credit. Yeah. Um, 
Well, gentlemen, I think we've reached it. Uh, John, final thoughts on Misery Signals. Misery Signals is one of those bands that I already said it. They're a band's band. I think if you are a fan of any of the subgenres within the heavy, aggressive, hardcore, post-hardcore, metalcore, whatever tag you want to put on it, there's a little bit of something here for everybody, whether it be the melody, whether it be the musicianship, whether it be the impassioned vocals from Jesse or from from Carl. There's probably going to be something on every album that draws you to that record, uh, which is more than I can say for a lot of bands of this this genre. And if you don't like Controller, I, I would be very surprised. But I think uh, this is a band, you know, like all the guys got back together. The original band is back together. And I believe we will have some new music probably the first of the new year, I believe. Uh, so I'm very interested to see where Jesse picks back up from a 13-year absence. Yeah, I mean, I thought the same thing about Killswitch, you know. Um, be interesting to see. Um, although Jesse had done multiple projects uh, prior to that. But, uh, you know, so I kind of knew he was still going to sound great. But, yeah, <laughs> like... Right. Um, I guess I guess for me with Misery Signals, they're just a band that, you know, definitely has not gotten their due. Um, and that's just what sucks about being innovative. You know, it's the same thing about Zayo. You know, like it's the same idea. You've got these bands that are great. And when people hear them for the first time, they're like, wow, this is really good. Why isn't this band more popular? It's always the first question. Why isn't this more popular? Because a bunch of other bands did what they did, but added a whole bunch of pop elements to it to make it more digestible for general audiences and it's on a bigger label. And, yeah. They were on a bigger label. They had a better production team. Um, you know, it's like flip. It's, it's, it's like gambling, man. You, you really never know where you're going to end up, but most of the time you're going to end up in the gutter. You know what I mean? There's a chance that you might, you might reach, you know, really great success, but for the most part, the most success you're going to re- really get in a band like this for the most, mostly is a, you're going to be able to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. And that's about as close to made it as you can be in this particular music scene. Misery Signals is not a band that's been on my radar. But when I listen to them, I hear elements that other bands got credit for. I also hear things that are not enjoyable to the majority of listeners. You've got four albums that span different elements of metalcore. So the whole thing doesn't just sound like this As I Lay Dying, Kill Switch Engage ripoff. I'm going to say listen to Controller and then work your way backwards. I have the least positive things to say about Absent Light, but if you're a fan of the band, you should listen to all of it because there's only four records. We'll have to do a revisit next year. There you go. Yeah, that's definitely going to be a Patreon episode for sure. John, what's your album of the week? Well, in light of my uh, prepping for this interview I'm doing later today, I have been listening to Continent, because I'm going to see the 10-year anniversary show of that tonight by the Acacia Strain. Dan, what about you? I'm going to go with Mind Warp by the band Brainchild. So you mean Brainchild by Circle of Dust, right? No, I mean I mean Mind Warp by Brainchild. Long live the chariot. Real quick, Dan, we had a tweet from AC, Alt-1. In regards to episode 81, Glassjaw. Oh, the one that me and Alfonso did, not the one that you did? I mean, I was there, but nobody wanted to talk to me. Nah. I, I would have included you. This was a great episode. I was never the biggest Glassjaw fan, but the passion for this band from you guys was off the chart. 
such love and appreciation from Alfonso and Dan. Hey, I was there too. Sure you were. <laughs> um, you know, and we didn't want John to be on that episode because he doesn't like the first album and he's wrong. 100% um, about, wrong. He's, he, he's wrong about that album. He's wrong about Life is Speechy by Korn. Um, he's been wrong know, about that since day of, one. The dude's out of control. You got to be really careful, you know, when you're bringing him on because he might start throwing that stuff out. Well, like, I'll just chalk that up to me being a few years older than you and wiser. Uh, I have a wisdom behind these eyes. The older you are, the more likely you are uh, to be seen. I'll go ahead and say this too. Results may vary. is not a bad record either. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, with... <laughs> Go ahead, Dan. This is, no, this is not over, uh, <laughs> but it, it, it is over for today. And on that note, this has been episode 83 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion. And please send questions and comments to DanAndJoeShow at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at Patreon.com forward slash DiscussMetal. We have some sweet perks. Yeah, give us your money. Listen to John's Untitled Podcast after listening to Discography Discussion every week. Do it! Twice! Yeah, two times, really. Really?